You are listening to The Gateway Church, located in Ferrisburg, Michigan. You can learn more about us by visiting thegateway.church or like and follow us on Facebook, where you can watch full services, keep up with all that is going on, and get connected. Well, this morning, we're going to dive into our second week into the book of Mark. And as a tool that we're providing... Uh, we are going to be studying the Gospel of Mark for some time. Uh, we want you to get a copy of God's Word in your hand that you can follow along with us. In fact, if you want, you can grab one off the table off the back. This is the Gospel of Mark, but it's a unique copy that on each page we have the Scripture on the left side, and on the other side there's spots to take notes. And we want to encourage every single one of you to do that. And we want to give these uh, as, a, as a way to say, hey, track with us. Believe that God's going to do something supernatural in your life. And you're going to want to go back and look at the notes and say, God, what were you doing in the season? Or, hey, there was something that was said that captured my heart, my mind. And we want you to be recording those things. Now, you say, do we need to pay for these? Well, you don't have to. We want to provide those. We did put an offering envelope envelope in each of them. They're normally six bucks, and we put on there five bucks, and in the next week or two weeks or three weeks, if you want to put five bucks in the offering, and with that envelope, it says the gospel of Mark, uh, you can do that, but even if it's an issue, we want you to have a copy, and so, and uh, these will get tattered over the next uh, season, but we know that as we get God's word in our hearts, uh, that it's going to make a difference, and so, anyway, we wanted to make sure you are aware of that. When we talked about the Gospel of Mark last week, and we kind of rolled out this introduction, we said that it's the shortest of the four Gospels, and it is a simple Gospel. It's a great place to start for new believers or for those that are wanting to grow in their faith, and it's somewhat uh, fast-paced, and it's kind of like rapid fire. In fact, the one of uh, Mark's favorite words was immediately. In fact, over 40 times in the Gospel of Mark is the word immediately, and nine times just in chapter one. And we'll see that again today. And you say, well, what's the hurry, Mark? What's the urgency? Well, the urgency was to get the gospel, the good news, to the people, to let people know about Jesus. Because when you hear about Jesus, it can make a difference. It changes lives. And there's a lot of movement in the book of Mark, and we're going to move through that at a slow pace. But you got to know when you read it as a whole, it's kind of from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Also, in way of introduction last week, we kind of asked a question. Well, who is Mark? Who is this Mark? And sometimes you see his name John Mark, especially in the book of Acts. We realize that he was not a perfect guy, not that anyone's perfect, but he really uh, had some troubles, and there was one season of his life that he actually walked away from ministry. Some commentators said he was a quitter. He walked away from his faith, maybe not his faith, but he walked away from serving the Lord in the capacity that God, and then he was brought back by Barnabas, his cousin. And as I was just reviewing my notes this morning, uh, I, I felt like we needed to pause here because there, it's very possible that someone is here today and saying, you know what, man, I've made so many mistakes. I've failed so many times. Is there a place for me? 
could I ever be restored? And the answer is absolutely yes. I put in my notes that your failure is not final. And I want that to be a word from the Lord this morning. I wrote that in this morning. This is a big deal. We, we asked ourselves, who is Mark? And we, as we study the book of Mark, we understand that it, he's not a preacher. He's not an evangelist. He's not highly educated. In fact, no one uh, saw him with special eyes. Like from the crowd's perspective, he was no, nothing special. But Mark was a helper. He was the one behind the scenes. He was a servant. And so not only gospel of Mark was it a second chance gospel, but it is also a gospel. It's the servant's gospel, some will say. And the gospel of Mark is about a servant as well, a Jewish servant. And Mark is not writing about himself, but he's writing about a most unusual servant. In fact, it's so unusual that heaven took notice, and we're going to see that today, and broke through from heaven down to earth. Of course, the gospel of Mark is about Jesus. Mark 10.45 talks about uh, it, the Son of Man, Jesus. He came to be served, or to serve, not to be served, right? And we understand that. And the gospel of Mark is the servant's gospel. And as you read and reread this with us over this next season, you'll understand that the purpose why Mark was writing was to talk about who is Jesus. Why did he come? Uh, what does it mean to follow him? And in the message, uh, when we, the message is loud and clear is that Jesus is the Son of God. We saw that in Mark chapter 10, verse 45, just a second ago. But I want you to turn in your Bibles to, to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, verse 1. It starts right off acknowledging who Jesus is. Look what it says. It says, the, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And who is Jesus Christ? The Son of God. A little later, and we're going to read this uh, later too, but in verse 11, and a voice came from, down from heaven in regards to Jesus' baptism, said, you are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. In Mark 10, 45, uh, he came to serve, right? Uh, and he was the Son of God. And there's a whole list. In fact, put up this next slide. You could take a picture of this and study it on your own. There's a whole lot of verses in the book of Mark that talk about Jesus being the Son of God. It's a primary theme, especially on the first half of the Gospel of Mark. And in relation to this idea... It's often with Jesus' authority, that he came with authority. He had authority over demons. He had authority over healings, over the physical body. When he spoke, he spoke with authority, and he was described as the Son of Man. And even he had authority over temptation, and we'll see that today. The Son of God, Jesus, he came with authority, but he also came with under authority. And it's interesting to me as I've studied this. He came under authority. It was God's plan for him to submit. He came under authority in his story of baptism. In fact, let's look at it in Mark chapter 1 there, starting in verse 9. Look at what it says. It says, in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately, there's that word, he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. 
And a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. As I was preparing and laying out this message series, I thought we were going to take a whole week on this section and uh, talk about baptism. And uh, as, as the Lord, he was kind of stirring in me in a different way. But I do want you to know, over the next few weeks, I will take some time and I'm going to uh, do some teaching on baptism and we'll post that on Facebook. And so if you're connected with us on Facebook or if you're watching now, you can tune in later. Um, there's some important things about water baptism that we as a church need to know. And in January 2020, when we turn into the new year, we're going to have a baptismal service and we want to make sure that we're prepared for that. And, uh, and so I'm not going to talk a whole lot about this other than the fact that when you see Jesus getting baptized, he was coming under authority. He was following God's plan for him in that act. Did Jesus need to be baptized? No, but he did it as an example for us. The other thing we see in this passage as we go on just a few more verses is that Jesus came with authority, but he was under authority. And let's continue in verses 12 and 13. And this is where I want to focus our time for the morning. It says, the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness. So you get this picture, Jesus being baptized by uh, John the Baptist, right? And immediately he's drove out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. We're going to take some time and look at those couple verses. The focus today is on the wilderness. And I'm convinced, this is the bottom line, I believe that we all need a wilderness experience. And I understand when you say wilderness or when I say wilderness, different things come to mind. You're, some of you are saying the wilderness, it is not for me. Like I don't want to be outdoors, right? Uh, when we vacation, we don't camp. We don't even go in a trailer. I want a hotel with planes and, and I want to be served, right? And uh, the wilderness for some of you, in fact, let's just take a, how many of you would say, yeah, I'm a wilderness person. Just raise your hand, all right? We got, we got a few. We got some hunters. Well, all the hunters are actually probably hunting, but uh, uh, that's Okay, but we got some hunters here. And uh, so wilderness, and then non-wilderness people, let's see. There's probably more non-wilderness. Okay, I see. All right, we see how that is. We'll see how that goes. But for me, if you know me, uh, what do you think I am? Wilderness. You got it. You know that. You, you know that. When I see wilderness, I think adventure, right? Wilderness, adventure, wilderness, adventure. No, and, uh, and I think of winter camping, and I think of survival camping that I've done with some of you that are here. And I think of day trips into the woods, right? And granted, I've never done 40 days straight in the wilderness, but for me, the point, when I think wilderness, I think this positive. I'm thinking, let's go. I'm all in. And uh, in fact, we should have done our name tag, wilderness or no, but uh, that would have been, it would take too much to describe, and, um, and, and so anyway, it is what it is. And in verse 12, we see uh, that the wilderness, though, is not this positive place like I see. It's really actually a dry, kind of a barren land, a desolate place. It's kind of described when you, when you dig into what the wilderness, where Jesus was. 
It was unpopulated. And, and I, I was thinking about that. I'm a people person. And for 40 days, not to be with uh, other people, that would drive me crazy. I love people, and I'm sure Jesus did the same. The wilderness, when you describe it, this idea, it is a place of devastation. It was like a desert. And for 40 days, Jesus was in the wilderness. And the thing that kind of grabbed me is that this is a place of lack. There was a lack of vegetation. There was a lack of water. And some today, you feel like you're in a dry, desolate, barren place. You feel like there's a lack in your life, maybe financially. You're saying, man, I, we don't have enough to cover the bills. Or we're heading into Christmas season. You know, headed, you know, we're just a few weeks away, and it's Black Friday and Cyber Monday. And you're saying, normally I've got extra reserves to spend, but this year it's not the case. You're saying, I'm in a wilderness season. Others of you, you're saying, man, I'm in a spiritually dry season. And whether you know it or not, maybe you've lost your first love. You don't feel all that close to the Lord. And you're saying, I'm in a wilderness season. There's others of you that are feeling alone. You're feeling like you've got, you're doing it all on your own. Whether you're single and you're saying, God, are you ever going to provide a mate? Or maybe you felt abandoned in some way. Others of you may feel like you've been devastated relationally or physically. The report has come. And I've got it in my notes. The report was cancer. And you're, and you're, you're stunned. You're, you're in a wilderness season. Or maybe your marriage is on the rocks and you find out, sure enough, he or she has been cheating or the porn addiction is caught up, or maybe it's an alcohol issue. And a wilderness season in our mind sounds miserable. No one wants a wilderness, dry, barren season. And yes, a wilderness season can be caused by your lack of, uh, or your, your, as a result of poor decisions, for sure. Your lack of doing what's right, that is can be the case, but I want you to know that a wilderness season is not always a, a judgment. It, it's not rejection from God. Instead, could it be that there are times that we head into a wilderness season because God is directing us? That that's where God exactly wants us? I'm convinced. Again, the bottom line is we all need a wilderness experience. And let's just look at it. Verse 12, uh, it says here uh, that we, that the Spirit of God, the Spirit immediately drove Jesus out into the wilderness. When you study that word that drove out, it was like he was ejected, like he's in a fighter plane and he hit the eject button and poof, he's out of there. But it was purposed by the Spirit of God. And remember, he came under the authority of the Father. And for 40 days, it says, look at verse 13. It says, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days. He was in this place 
And it's interesting, if you have studied Scripture, and you've looked into Scripture, and maybe have a, you know, any Bible scholars in the room, you know that there's something significant about the number 40, and there's something significant about wilderness experience. There are examples in Scripture I want to share two. The one is in the life of Moses. Moses was the prince of Egypt. You guys know the story. And at age 40, which is kind of interesting, he kills a man, right? And talk about second chances. But God sends him into the wilderness, or he heads into the wilderness season for 40 years. One commentator was talking about this, and it says Moses entered into this wilderness season as a fearful fugitive, but came out after 40 years as a forceful prophet. I really like that. He led the children of Israel. He led them into the wilderness again, right there at the Red Sea. They crossed, and then how long should it have taken to get to the promised land? Probably a week or two or three, a month at the most. But instead, it took 40 years in the wilderness. There was wandering. You say, why 40? There's something significant there. And again, the children of Israel, for 40 years, they enter into the wilderness. The same commentator said they entered in as spiritually weak slaves coming out of Egypt. And they exit the wilderness into the promised land as spiritually strong soldiers. I like that. Again, with Moses and his story, there are other significant things with the word or with the, uh, the idea of 40 days. He spent 40 days on Mount Sinai, and then he got the Ten Commandments. There was a transformation in his life, and his face glowed after 40 days. Moses, there's a definite tie to 40 and the wilderness. There's another example. How about Elijah? The first half of Elijah's ministry, you could describe it as kind of weak and full of anxiety. He's running away from people like Jezebel, which, I mean, it's hard. If you study Jezebel, I'd probably run away too. But he was fearful. He was afraid. Elijah, uh, he, but the Lord, he found Elijah in the wilderness, and he had spent 40 days there. And what's interesting to me is that the fear turned to confidence in the wilderness. He gets a revelation from God, and he emerges with this supernatural strength. He has a calmness now. There's a peace about him. A greater power because of his time in the wilderness. There's something to it. Moses and Elijah experienced God's work in the wilderness. God preserved them. God transformed their lives in the wilderness. And I think we all need a wilderness experience. A wilderness experience that's a part of God's plan. God leading, God guiding, God allowing things in our lives where we emerge stronger with a greater grace you say, well, what about Jesus in his wilderness experience? Think about it. His life before the wilderness experience, he did not do any miracles, right? He didn't do any preaching. And some commentators say it was 30 years of obscurity. So he was flying under the radar. 30 years. And now he's been baptized 
He comes out and he's on the scene. He's driven to the wilderness for 40 days. And again, out of that wilderness experience, what happened in Jesus' life? It was like ministry explosion. And we'll read about that and we'll, we'll understand that as we read and as we study the Gospel of Mark. See, the wilderness had to do with God developing. And he does the same thing with us. And yes, no one likes the wilderness. No one likes that season. But God does his greatest and his deepest work in the wilderness. And the question I have, when I've been in wilderness-type seasons, and maybe you're in one uh, even today, or and I, I was talking with Pastor Bobby, he said either you're in one, uh, you're, you've just came out of one, or you're heading into one, right? Is that what you said? It's something like that. And it's like, yeah, there's always going to be these seasons. But I, you, know, you might ask the question to God. You're saying, God, where are you in this? What in the world is happening, Right? All I see is dry, desolate, I'm alone, I see lack, whatever the case might be. Well, there are three things when you study these couple verses about Jesus being in the wilderness that I think are important. And they, there are three realities that came to mind this week, and I want to look at those. And the first is this, that the wilderness is a place of submission. So here we go. Uh, let's look at it. Uh, Mark chapter 1, verse 12 says the Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness for 40 days. I could just imagine Jesus saying to God, the Father, Hey, I thought I was your son. You just declared that a few scriptures earlier at the baptism. I thought you were well pleased with me. Why am I now in the wilderness? Can you imagine that with me? And you're saying the truth is, when you understand who Jesus is, he could have resisted. He could have said, what in the world have I done to deserve this type of reality? And I'm reading the word, you know, you might say, you're saying, I just started the Bible program. I've been doing my soap reading. God, why am I in this wilderness place? Some of you started fasting and praying and you're saying, you know, God, right when that happens, all of a sudden it's like I'm in this wilderness place or there's tragedy or there's, there's an issue. Some of you are saying, man, I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking. And now I'm in this wilderness, dry, desolate place. Some of you have said, hey, and maybe you're in this season. You're saying, man, I just decided I'm going to honor God. I'm going to give my tithes. Or I'm going to make a faith promise to the Lord. And all of a sudden, you lose your job. Or, or all of a sudden, you know, there's, there's this crisis in your finances. Uh, a car repair or a house repair or something in the medical happens. You're saying, what did I do to deserve this? And haven't we all been there at one point or another? You're saying, God, what has happened? And the truth is, and I just want to just acknowledge, 
that when you make a stand and you start tithing or you start making a faith promise or you start uh, with your Bible reading or you start praying and you start fasting, uh, you might have been under the radar in Satan's view and he didn't need to bother you, but you start to act for the Lord and you say, hey, my, I want my, my life to count. Uh, what happens is you end up on the, on the enemy's radar. That is for sure. And here Jesus is in the wilderness, we see. He's submitting to the Father's will, right? And Jesus wasn't rebellious, right? He didn't have a bad attitude. What we see is that it was a place of submission. In fact, Jesus was humble. He, was, he learned and modeled humility in the wilderness. And I was thinking about it in a wilderness. One of my wilderness junkie friends, his name is Kevin DeVries, and he's actually spoken in, uh, in this pulpit before, uh, but he's the guy that has summited uh, five out of the eight tallest, um, uh, I forget what you call it, but mountains in the world. He's either been to the North Pole or the South Pole. I couldn't remember. Didn't want to call him uh, this week, but uh, he, he just had a heart attack. But I was thinking about Kevin DeVries, and, and one of his stories that kind of came to my mind was that uh, he talked about, it was on his trek to, it was the North Pole or the South Pole, and that he was making his way there. And what was interesting is that the weather in the wilderness caused them to, you had to submit to the weather. It's kind of the idea that he says, if you don't submit to the weather in, the, in that desolate type of place, you will die. In fact, there was a season of days that him and his crew were in their tent, and they could not come out of their tent. They couldn't make any progress. There was no progress. He said he was bored out of his mind. He felt like it was a waste of time. And they're second-guessing the trip. And then all of a sudden, the weather cleared, and then they were able to make progress again in the wilderness. And the thing that caught me was that they had to submit in the wilderness. And the wilderness certainly is a place of submission. You learn to submit. You learn to be humble. You learn to say, okay, God, what do I need to learn here? And Lord, help me to learn it quickly. Amen? Amen. The verse that came to mind was James chapter 4, verse 7, that says this, Submit yourselves then to God. If we just stop right there, submit yourselves to God, right? And that verse is surrounded that by another verse that says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace or shows favor to the humble. And then in verse 10 of that same chapter, it says, humble yourself before the Lord. We must learn to submit, to live our lives with humility. And many times we learn that in the wilderness, and that leads us to the second truth. Leave that verse up there. Uh, James 4, 7, that not only says, submit yourself then to God, then it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. This is the truth of the matter. That the place, the wilderness is a place of submission, but it's also a place of warfare. Of warfare, spiritual warfare. Look at it, verse 13. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild animals. Interesting. He was tempted. 
Matthew and Luke, those two Gospels, they have an extended account of this, uh, but Mark is shorter and straight to the point. But you can read uh, in those, both of those accounts. And uh, he is being taunted after days and days in the wilderness, 38, 39 days. He was there for 40 days total. We don't know when Satan came to him exactly, but I just imagine late in his time, he, Satan comes to him and tempts him and says, can't you turn this stone into a piece of bread? And I read this week that, that if Jesus would have eaten bread after that point, if he would have stuffed his face with a good loaf of fresh bread that certainly he could have made uh, from a stone because Jesus can do anything, but it would have killed him physically. And the enemy, he's saying, hey, I want to kill you. And he's, he's pro providing this temptation. Then Satan takes him and says, hey, throw yourself off of this, this pinnacle of this building of the temple. The angels will certainly be there for you. And Jesus says, look, don't put God to a test. And then, of course, the third temptation, he's, <laughs> Satan offers him the world. He says, I will give you all of this. And you're like, wait a second. I thought God owned it all. You're exactly right. And Jesus said, I will worship the Lord and worship him only. And so he's tempted. It's hard. He, you know, and uh, what's, I, I relate to that. There are times where I've been tempted. There have been times where I've wanted to give up. And I'm sure that you have been in cases like that as well. And let's just acknowledge that sometimes life is hard. Let's acknowledge that the battle is real. The temptation is real. It could be our addiction to drugs or to pornography or uh, on the other, you know, anorexia, or it could be a temptations with suicidal thoughts. It could be a depression or, or this doubt that kind of raises up or a denial. I wrote in my notes here, don't let the wilderness make you doubt who you are, who you are in Christ. Some of you may be saying, man, I'm struggling here. I'm in the wilderness. I'm in, a, in this dark place. And the truth is, when you're in a place that's hard, that's dry, that's wilderness-like, the devil just does not play fair. He will mess with your mind. He will mesh, mess with your emotions. He will cause all kinds of things to happen that will cause you to doubt and to deny. And in Mark's account, he's tempted. And it's interesting, only in Mark's account does it mention wild animals. Look at it right there. It says, and he was with the wild animals. And so Mark is addressing the spiritual side, but also the physical side. And they're animals. Some commentators describe the animals as being demonically energized, coming to freak Jesus out in the desert. And it reminded me of a story when I was in Tennessee a few years ago on my sabbatical. And I was supposed to meet up with Josh Lemie. And some of you guys know who that is. He had moved to Tennessee. He was one of my camping buddies. And I, I got to the trailhead. He was going to come later. And uh, it was a four-mile trek down a hill into a valley. And it was called Virgin Falls. And then we were supposed to meet down in Virgin, um, in Vir at the Virgin Falls. And, uh, and so I took the trek down. And uh, what was crazy is we never connected. And I was there for several days by myself. 
And one day I got out and I was hiking on these trails that obviously no one had been on for days, weeks, or even months because they were just covered with these cobwebs everywhere. And so I grabbed this long stick and I'm going through and I'm like, you know, praising Jesus with my stick, clearing the cobwebs. And all of a sudden, this is not a lie, I'm like like this and I look down for a split second and there is a snake as big as a volleyball rolled up and I'm like, whoop, and I start running. And I just ran and I, I, I never even looked back and it freaked me out. I think that snake was a demon and I, I, I needed to cast that demon out and it scared me. And that night, I'm telling you, I had to sleep all by myself. <laughs> I zipped up my tent and I prayed to the Lord Jesus for safety and I heard every little noise that night where normally I would sleep just like a baby and it messed with my mind and I could just imagine for 40 days in the wilderness the things that Jesus might have uh, been approached with or the sounds and the things and could they have been demonized I don't know it's very possible the truth is is that the wilderness is a place of warfare and Jesus had to fight the enemy with temptation, with wild animals. But we see that Jesus in that season models a place that the wilderness, the warfare, is a place where you learn to fight. You fight with God on your side. It's a place where you can grow, where you can be prepared. It's a testing ground. It's a proving ground. The wilderness is. It's a place of warfare. So it's a place of submission, a place of warfare. But then there's a third thing, a third reality, that the wilderness is also a place of provision. In Matthew's account of this wilderness experience, it says that the devil left him after the temptations, and the angels came and attended to him. In verse 13 of chapter 1 of Mark, look what it says. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by Satan, and he was with the wild animals, right? And then it says, and the angels were ministering to him. Even in the wilderness, there was the presence of the Almighty God. There was this idea that the angels were there providing, meeting Jesus' needs. Turn with me to, Matt, or to, to Psalm 91. There's a verse that caught my attention this week. Just look at a couple verses here. And I'm not sure we have a verse for this or not. Oh, we do. Thanks, Bonnie. I mentioned it. It wasn't in my notes originally, but I, I, I added it in yesterday. Uh, uh, Psalm 91 this is a prayer that my mom used to pray over me and my sisters every day before we went to school. She would say this. Look at it. Verse, verse uh, is that right? Do I have it right? Yeah, yeah. Here it is. Verse 11. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways, and they will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra, even in Tennessee, right? You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Jesus helps us 
There's a place of provision in the wilderness. And I love this, that angels were there. Uh, in Daniel chapter 6, verse 22, it says that God sent an angel and shut the mouth of the lion. Do we believe that angels exist? I do, absolutely, according to Scripture. Now, we are, uh, we are not to worship them. We don't glorify them. But let's acknowledge that there are angels, and God will send angels to provide for us at times. In fact, there's a verse in Hebrews. I don't have the Scripture verse, but I think it's in Hebrews, that says, be careful because you could be entertaining angels. And the newsboys, I think they sang a song about that, entertaining angels, right? But uh, anyway, that's another story angels. The point is, is that God is with you in the wilderness. Amen? It's a place of divine provision. It's a place where God will meet you. His presence is there. He will rejuvenate you. He'll recenter you. He'll bring you clarity of mind. And where my mind went late yesterday after a a run with a friend, my mind went to a series of three wilderness type of experiences that I had through the building process here. And, uh, and I know some of you had your own struggles and, and different things where the, you know, things happened and it just kind of stops your life. But for me, there were three things that happened in the season that we're, when we were raising funds and then building here. One is I got shingles and, uh, and the, I remember uh, being flat on my back, and a friend came over and said, hey, I've got a word from the Lord for you. And, and he had a couple things to say about me resting and me listening to Jessica, and he was dead on. It was a word from the Lord. God provided in that, in that, uh, in that season where I had shingles, and I was not expecting it, but I needed it. Another thing that happened is, I don't know, do you guys remember a few years back where I got a, a polyp, or a couple polyps on my vocal cord? And they had to do surgery, and I had to not talk for an entire week. That was crazy. Jessica's smiling big, remembering that. So was Logan. And I wrote notes on a little board over and over, a notepad. And, and so there was that season, and I remember just sitting there and nothing to do <laughs> except be with the Lord. It was a season of wilderness, but the Lord, he met me in that time. And then I had my meniscus go out during this season. I played basketball two times a week religiously, and I, was, I loved basketball. And uh, one night, my knee went out, and uh, a few months later, they took 40% of my meniscus out. And I remember in this process, in the building process, like, what did I learn? I needed to slow down. I needed to take care, better care of my body. I needed, there were, there were some things. The Lord met me in those wilderness-type experiences. The wilderness church is a place of provision. It may seem like it's dry. It may seem like you're all alone, that you're in this desolate place. And yes, sometimes it's even painful. But how many times can we as believers, and some of the seasoned believers here, you can attest to this, that you can look back at a wilderness-type experience and you can see the hand of God working on your behalf. Amen? It's so true. God working behind the scenes. 
working things out even better than you could even imagine or could have planned it yourself. And he's kept you safe. He's kept you in his hands all along. And I just want to say that if you're in a season today where you're feeling like you've been forgotten, you feel like the enemy is winning in your life, you feel like God is distant, I want you to know that God, he is the provider, and he's providing for you even in your difficult circumstances. When we consider the wilderness, no one wants it. I get it. And the truth is, is that the Lord will take us into these wilderness experiences, and not just one, but multiple times. And I just believe that we all need those wilderness experiences at times in our lives because God wants to develop us. He does his greatest, deepest work. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you have great plans for each and every one of us. And even as hard as it is to understand and get our minds around the idea that you would desire for us to be in a wilderness season like you sent your own son into the wilderness for 40 days. Lord, you provide in those seasons. You teach us to fight, fight spiritual battles, to come out on top, to deal with temptation, to, to deal with uh, the, the enemy. And Lord, you also, in those seasons of the wilderness, Lord, you teach us to be humble and to be submitting our will, our lives to you. And God, we just thank you that you don't leave us in those seasons. But when we come out of those seasons, you do the miraculous even greater potential once we've learned, once we've grown, once you've done that deep, deep work. And Lord, I just pray that today you would speak to our hearts. And like Pastor Bobby said this morning, whether we're in a wilderness season where we're just coming out of one or we're headed into one, Lord, I pray that we would submit closed, head bowed here, just sensing the Lord is speaking to some hearts, and I'm just curious if you would acknowledge this morning, if you're here and you're saying, Pastor, I feel like I am in a wilderness season right now. Would you just acknowledge that and slip up your hand? is, is that it really stinks, and it's difficult, it's hard, but I want you to know, the Lord is with you, he's with you, he wants to teach you something, 
teach you how to fight. He wants to teach you how to submit. He wants to show you his hand and his life. Hallelujah. Father, I pray for those that raise their hands, that are acknowledging that they're in a tough spot, in a difficult situation. Some may be feeling like they're ready to throw in the towel. They're saying, it's just too hard. They're saying, God, why me? Maybe it's come after a spiritual victory or maybe after a decision to, to step up your game. But Lord, whatever the case, Lord, I pray that you would be with each of us that are in a season that seems dry, that seems lonely, that seems like you're distant. And Lord, I pray that we would understand that you are close to the weary. And just like you sent angels to attend to Jesus. Lord, I pray that you'd send your angels to comfort and to strengthen, to guard. Lord, I pray this in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. If I could get your eyes on me just for a moment. This morning, it's possible that you've made it here to the Gateway Church. Maybe you don't even know why you're here, but uh, this morning, you're here, I believe, on purpose. God has got a plan for your life. And if you are away from God or you don't have a relationship with Jesus, we want to offer you the free gift of salvation. It's the best gift that you could ever have. It's the idea that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he died on the cross for you. And he knows you personally, and he's wanting you to receive him this morning, you can receive him. I'm going to pray a prayer, a prayer of salvation. This can be your prayer. You can agree along with me. Make this your own. And I just want to challenge you to do so. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would save me, that you would take away my sins. And God, that you would do a work in my body, in my heart. Lord, I pray that you would forgive me and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Take away anything that does not please you, Lord, I pray. And God, I pray that you would help me to live for you all the days of my life. Lord, today I choose to put my faith in you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, if that was your prayer, you're saying, man, I'm agreeing with you. That is what I need. I, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? First service here. And I'm curious. Yeah, thank you. Anyone else saying, yeah, that's me. I needed that. I, I need to kind of just refocus, realign. Or maybe you were away from God and you're saying, yeah, I'm coming back. I'm coming to the Lord. Anyone else? Well, for the sake of the one, we rejoice God is with you, and uh, let's stand together, and let's just, we're going we're gonna to sing one final song just to kind of set our hearts before the Lord before we go. After the end of the song, we'll see you out in the lobby. Remember to pick up your copy of the Gospel of Mark, and, uh, and also to make a faith promise. God bless you, uh, but let's worship the Lord before we head on out. Amen.
Thank you for listening to this week's message from the Gateway Church. If you'd like to find out more about our church, such as service times, giving, and ways to get connected, visit us at thegateway.church.